Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 3rd. It was a red hot start to October in the pro tennis world. About as good of an opening Monday to a week as I can remember from any week during this 2022 season. Of course, it helps to have four phenomenal events taking place this week. And I do want to say it feels like this week more than ever, we feel that race to the year-end finals being perhaps the most prevalent storyline in both the men's and women's game. Of course, it helps to have the high level events that we do this week. Two ATP 500s on the men's side. The action taking place in Tokyo, Japan, as well as Astana, Kazakhstan. For those of you who are wondering, is Astana a new event? No, they've rebranded the Nur Sultan event, changed the name to Astana. So that is what we will refer to it as moving forward. Of course, you look on the men's side. You've got nine of the top 14 players in the world playing and 15 of the top 25 in action between those two ATP 500 events. Felix Ogier Aliassime, who entered the week ranked 13th in the ATP Top 100, he was the eight seed in Astana this week. Now, of course, he's already been knocked out of the event, but again, that speaks to the strength of the draw that Felix was the eighth seed, that he drew Roberto Bautista Agut, an unseeded lingerer in round number one, jam-packed draws on the men's side. And that, in my opinion, maybe the single best draw we have seen from top to bottom during this 2022 season belongs to the WTA Tour, the event in Ostrava, a WTA 500 level event. We see so many of the players in contention for those final year-end championship spots all competing in Ostrava this week. Just to list some of the names for you, you've got, of course, world number one Iga Sviantek in action, but Daria Kasakina, Maria Sakkari, Belinda Bencic, Paula Bedosa, Annette Conteve, Beatrice Haddad Maya, Petra Kvitova, Yelena Ostapenko, Ekaterina Alexandrova, and I'll throw in Elena Rabakina for good measure because she hasn't quite been eliminated from the year-end finals yet. I mean, again, 10 players right there, all competing in the Ostrava draw. It is absolutely jam-packed. And of course, we've also got another 250 event happening in Monastir, an event that features the world number two, Own Jabor, getting to play an event in her home country, the significance of bringing the WTA Tour to Africa, the significance of Own Jabor getting to play in front of a home crowd. Talk about an awesome just sentiment, an awesome scene in the professional tennis world. That may be a storyline that would transcend all other storylines in a typical week, but this is anything but typical as you look at the schedule. Jam-packed across the board. It's going to be fun, folks, and as such, I am 
absolutely delighted to say I'm once again on the call for our friends at Tennis Channel working for their T2 Samsung streaming service. Myself, Gil Gross, steering about six hours of action each and every day. Of course, the privilege we have on T2 is that ability to jump around from match to match. Yeah, we lock in on the good stuff. Got the chance to watch pretty much the entirety and broadcast the entirety of Azarenka and uh, Alexandrova today, a match, of course, I want to discuss here on today's podcast. But, you know, across the board, we get to go hop in and see the match points as they happen in Tokyo to start the day, as they happen, of course, in Astana as the day continues. I got a chance to watch a lot of tennis today. As such, I want to touch on it here on today's show. And, of course, as I get to do when during these broadcasting weeks. We're going to get specific. We're probably going to get into the weeds on the matches. I call specifically each and every day, particularly if the matches remain as good as they have been moving forward. I also want to announce, since we're talking broadcasting, or I suppose since I'm talking broadcasting here on this show, our Crack Rackets team going to be doing some broadcasting this weekend as well. Very excited to go straight from the T2 booth to our Crack Rackets broadcast of the 2022 ITA All-American Championships, one of the fall individual college tennis championships on the calendar. Do you want to know who's the next Cam Norrie? Who's the next Danielle Collins? Who's the next Ben Shelton? Who's the next, you know, Ellen Perez on the dub- in the doubles world? What Ever it may be, most if not all of those players are going to filter through the ITA All-American. And you've got players like Ethan Quinn, who is one of the hottest young Americans on the Pro Tour this summer. You've got Stefan Dostinik, number one player in the country for USC, who I had the chance to spend some time with here in L.A. I'll tell you this, folks, his game looks very very good heading into this week in Tulsa. We'll have coverage of all of the main draw uh, play starting uh, Wednesday. Excuse me, that coverage continues all the way through Sunday. I will hop on the broadcast starting on Friday, but on Wednesday, Thursday, my dear friend Mark Bay going to be steering the ship alongside of super producer Daniel Westoff. So as if there wasn't enough tennis going on this week, the best part, you're now going to have action 24-7. Yeah, the Asia action, the, you know, Europe action, It may be done by about 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Eastern time. The good news is the college action will be carrying on all day long here in the United States. So it's really high-level tennis 24-7 this weekend. That's what we thrive on here at Cracked Rackets. And again, with that in mind, let's talk about the past 24 hours in the professional tennis world on today's show. I want to set the scene a bit, talk about what I saw on Monday through the first half of the first round matches again that this is an opening Monday of the week and the play was as good as it was certainly bodes well for the rest of this week of course while I am talking about these events worth noting I recapped all of last weekend's championship action on Sunday's edition of the mini break podcast and tomorrow as we always do I will be joined by my guy Nate Walrath from Tennis Point to talk about the biggest storylines and perhaps offer a few more predictions, look at this week's events from a big picture standpoint, as Nate and I always love to do. With that said, of course, before I get into today's podcast, I really got to work on narrowing these intros down. I apologize. I'm a bit sleep deprived. I feel like as such, I can get, I can carry on a bit uh, on these shows when I'm in LA, when I'm not 1,000% podcast podcast focus. I'd say I'm at like 250% podcast focus instead of the 1,000% that I often am. But I apologize if I get a bit mumbly. Apologize if I get a bit rambly. That's the word I was looking for. Nevertheless, again, 
there's a lot of exciting tennis to talk about right now, and I'm excited to do that on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who stick with us not only through the big events, but you've proven to us, you have proven to our sponsors that there are hardcore tennis fans who are looking for a daily show, who are looking to keep up with all the action that happens day in, day out across levels in the pro tennis world. We are immensely grateful that you choose us to provide that information to all of you listeners. And I do just want to say, I know we're in, we're in tangent mode here, folks. I've done a lot of talking today. And you know what? I was about to pitch one of my business ideas. It's called Wordometer, a near relative to pedometers, which count your steps. Wordometer counts how many words you speak each and every day. I'll pitch why I think that's a good business idea in an off-season podcast. But I do just want to let all of you listeners know that we've actually been working on re- re-energizing, not re-energizing, but just changing up this mini break moving forward and how we're going to do it in 2023. And uh, again, that's because we're in our quest to continue to get better each and every day. I would hate for these podcasts to get stagnant. So of course, if any of you have any suggestions, comments, criticisms, Alex, shut up, get to talking about the tennis. Let us know uh, whether it be via our DMs, whether it be via uh, Apple, Spotify, podcast comments. I always appreciate reading those comments, whether they're positive or negative. We're looking for any feedback feedback we can get here at Cracked Rackets and of course to have any opportunity to engage with our Cracked Rackets community. We are always immensely grateful. So thank you to all of you who continue to tune in day in, day out. Thank you to our friends at Tennis Point. I'll keep this one brief. Tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 get 15% off all sale items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into Monday's action. And let's start with the matches I did call most closely, had the chance to see the majority of, and that was the WTA action in Ostrava. What a fantastic start to the week in the Czech Republic. All of today's women's matches at the 500-level event, to some extent, they delivered the goods. And I do want to credit Ostrava. I don't know if credit is the right word, but they have made a clear-cut strategy from a court perspective. They are putting all of their singles matches on center court. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. It certainly means we have the opportunity on T2 to broadcast each of these singles matches because by spreading them out in that fashion, you never have two overlapping. You're able to feature all of them from start to finish or at least show as much of them as we have time to show throughout the course of our broadcast. And look, I mean... Some of the matches we had come off the board here today. Kvitova, three-set win over Para. Tom, uh, excuse me, Rybakina, three-set win over Keys. Alexandrova, three-set win over Azarenka. Those don't sound like round of 32 matches. Those sound like, at this level, a quarterfinal match. Certainly feels like matches we could justifiably see in second weeks at slams moving forward. No, folks, that was your opening Monday of tennis in Ostrava. And I almost feel bad for the Jung Shui Isla Tomjanovic match. Tomjanovic, a 3-3 three and three victory over the 33-year-old Jung Shui, who, as I alluded to on last week's shows, is in the midst of the best singles career of her season. And yet, you know, again, despite all of those, you know, despite that match being an exceptional 3-3 three and three win for Tomjanovic, the three-setters stole the show. And I want to start with Ekaterina Alexandrova, who, of course, I affectionately refer to as Ekat. The 27-year-old is just clearly 
in the midst of a career season. And now that we're in October on the calendar, I think we can all acknowledge that pretty openly. You look for Alexandrova with her victory today. She's now 32 and 16 overall on the year. Excuse me, 33 and 16 overall on the year. I will refer to this far too frequently on this show. You know my thoughts on the two-thirds rule. If you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you're getting to a lot of quarterfinals, or on the weeks you are having success, you're not only getting to the semifinals, you're getting to the finals, you're winning titles. That's what we've seen from Alexandrova this season. And there's no doubt that 27-year-old can run as hot and cold as just about anyone on the WTA Tour. But this season... You know, she's at a constant simmer, it feels like, a constant boil. Even the matches where she's fallen short, you think about the loss to Serenko and Portoros. All right, it was a 5-6 and six loss. You know, I was in Cleveland when she lost in three sets to Madison Brangle. She had a million opportunities to put that match away, particularly in th- uh, straight sets. I believe she served up 6-3-5-4, was unable to close that match out in straights. And, you know, from there, Brangle sort of did her thing to just scratch, claw, death by a hundred, or by a thousand paper cuts her way to victory. She just hasn't been blown out this season. And yeah, there have been some sketchy losses, but a lot of those losses coming in three sets and a lot of her losses this season have actually come to top 50 or top 20 players. Again, 11 of her 16 losses coming to players ranked inside the top 50 this year, seven of those 16 coming against top 20 opponents. And yet 12 and 11, Versus the top 50 this season, 5-7 and seven versus the top 20. She's also one of nine players to rank in the top 25 of both hold and break percentage. And while she's not elite in any single category, she's 12th in break percentage, which is very good. But I think we would argue top 10, if not top 5, would qualify as elite hold percentage perspective. She's 22nd. Again, good, not elite. That's what's been so impressive for Rabakina. For someone who runs so hot and cold, the metrics seem to love her because when she runs hot as she did today, the tennis she's capable of playing is just phenomenal. I am fairly certain she didn't miss a return in the third set of her, again, three-set victory over Victoria Azarenka for Alexandrova was a 6-4-4-6-6-2 victory in the end. I mean, a couple of things. Azarenka races out to a three-love lead. Alexandrova was just too passive, was hitting the ball down the center, was not challenging Azarenka laterally the way you need to challenge the 33-year-old. And by the way, that Azarenka is only 33 years old. feels like her prime was over a decade ago, and it certainly was the early 2010s when she was doing her most dominant forms of winning. You know, that said... Like 33 years old is not old. And Azarenko, I believe, is a very quiet now 20 and 12 overall in this year. She hasn't been able to play the most amount of matches, but when she's played, she's still been pretty damn good. And she's number six right now in break percentage amongst top 50 players on the WTA tours. That speaks to, again, her level of play in this match. Azarenka punished any plus one opportunity she had. Azarenka was striking the ball brilliantly from the baseline. Her backhand in particular, how well she was connecting with that ball, how well she was opening up court for herself uh, with that backhand cross court. And yet, it was the physicality of a Katarina Alexandrova that ultimately wins her this match. And just again, the fact that I don't think she missed a return in the third set and she just was taking that ball early on the rise and from three love down in the first set, you know, she takes six of the next seven games. 
I don't think she hit a single ball short. You know, she may have hit a ball in the center third of the court, but if she did that, it was at the baseline or two feet within the baseline. You know, she left nothing short in the center of the court. And more than anything, she did an excellent job of just forcing Azarenka to have to play from on the move. And I wish I could point to you, you know, specific points here and there. I would say, I don't remember if it was 5-4 or 4-3. In that first set, it was a second serve, 30-40. Alexandrova faced a break point. Second serve, she goes big on the second serve, is rewarded by getting an easy plus one opportunity that she puts away. And we saw Alexandrova hit bold second serves at multiple points throughout the course of this match. You look for Alexandrova, she had 13 aces overall on the day. That first serve was a weapon today. And, you know, not only did Alexandrova get Azarenka on the move, behind that first serve by moving her laterally. But again, what was even more impressive was the defensive skills because Alexandrova is not someone who you would strike as playing defensive tennis. She hits a flat ball. It sounds like a slap coming out of her off of her racket. And there are times I just don't understand how that ball ends up dropping inside the baseline. And yet, again, in the outer thirds of the court today, Alexandrova was stunning. She was absorbing first strikes of Azarenka, not just absorbing them, but she was providing her own pace back in return. And again, how well she targeted her her spots cross court, just continuously forcing Azarenka in particular to have to hit the forehand on the run with which Azarenka struggled with throughout the course of today. You know, anytime Alexandrova got a look at a second serve, she punished it as well. And again, in that third set, she played a really clean set of tennis on serve. You know, she went down. Alexandrova also goes down a break 4-3, gets the break right back 4-4 all. Um, Now, unfortunately, gets broken right away again for, uh, or was it a break? It ended on a break. No, no, no. Excuse me. She goes down a break, 4-2, gets the break back for 4-3, is broken again for 5-3, breaks Azarenka for 5-4, and then I think is broken 4-6-5. I may have started that two games soon but uh, for 6-4. There, there was an exchange of four breaks at the end of the opening set. And yet if you go re- uh, at the end of the second set, and yet if you go rewatch that second set, you know, it was Alexandrova who was at 30-all or deuce points in each of Azarenka's first four service games. She just wasn't quite able to convert at the start, and that was a credit to Victoria Azarenka, who, again, raised her level, played extraordinarily well in this match. ECAT was just too good, and you look for Alexandrova up to a career high in the live ranking. She's currently sitting at number 21. She's, again, 20th right now in the points race and not completely eliminated from the year-end finals, but she would need a lot of things to break her way over the next month. Again, now for Alexandrova, six consecutive victories for her, dating back to her title in Seoul two weeks ago. 27 years old, you should be at the prime of your career. And you look for Alexandrova, career high, 71.9% hold percentage, career high, 38.3% break percentage. She's playing the best tennis of her career, and she was outstanding today against Victoria Azarenka. Again, you look for Alexandrova. I suppose I I should probably provide these stats before we move on to the next match. Alexandrova went 75% of her, uh, no, excuse me, she was over 75% of her first serve points in this match. You look for Alexandrova. She ultimately wins uh, against Victoria Azarenka. No, so it was 69% of her first serve points, but 61% of her second serve points uh, creates 13 breakpoint chances for herself, converts on six of them. That is good enough to get the job done. Credit to Ekaterina Alexandrova. Again, I thought she played excellent tennis today in earning that three-set victory. And, you know, again, that was one of three three-set matches on the day. 
in Ostrava. And by the way, it's a hard O, Ostrava. My dear friend Gil Gross informed me I was pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, by the way, I didn't mention the straight setter that's going to get buried, Martin Sova, 6-6. Six and six. I believe she was double breakdown in the first set before beating Jill Teichman. But it's like, how can we even talk about that match? And Martin Sova, who listeners of this podcast know I have been high on over the last month, sneaky, powerful from the baseline. And on these hard courts, her movement just becomes that much better. She's able to set her feet. She's able to turn into the ball. That power is not to be trifled with in the Benchich model of line drive hitter. Six and six win over Jill Teichman. There's the quick storyline on that. Again, Tomjanovic was excellent from a physical standpoint. Just forced Jung Shui to have to hit every extra ball. Jung Shui didn't quite have the legs in that match. But how about Elena Rabakina from uh, first set? You know, didn't play her best in the first set. Drops at seven five. Madison Keys was locked in on serve. Was striking the ball so well. And yet it was the defensive skills, in my opinion, for Rabakina that ultimately helped her earn a 5-7-6-3-6-3 victory over Madison Keys. Yes, Rabakina hit seven aces, won 79% of her first serve points, fought off four of seven breakpoint chances, and created 14 breakpoint chances for herself. And that speaks to it. It was the defensive skills. It was the fact that she just kept forcing Madison Keys to have to hit a good volley. To put the point away. And I don't, when I say good volley, I mean the ball was dipped low at the feet of Madison Keys. And it's hard to put that first volley away definitively when that ball is dipped so low at your feet. She just forced Keys to have to hit the first volley always from an uncomfortable position. And while that match is, you know, that volley is still on Keys' rack, and I just thought the big takeaway is that Madison did not volley well enough today. She just floated too many first volleys, gave Rabakina too many easy looks at second passes, but credit to Rabakina for creating those chances for herself, and then from there, able to ride that first serve, that overwhelming power tennis she's able to play through the finish line. You look for Rabakina, even without the Wimbledon points, she's 26th in the line. Rankings 22nd in the points race. You look for a little Rabakina now overall on the season. Very, very steady. You know, again, a very quiet 35 and 18. Two thirds rule accomplished. And certainly you look for Rabakina after a tough loss to Sinyakova in the Porta Rose final. Tough loss last week, first round to Samsonova in Tokyo. Excuse me, two weeks ago to Samsonova in Tokyo. Good to see her bounce back, back on the indoor hard courts of surface where her power tennis should have extraordinary level. Levels of success. Good win for Rabakina to kick off the tournament. You look for her now. She's going to take on the winner of Ostapenko and Sasnovich, who play tomorrow. By the way, if you're looking for previews or picks for all of the next, you know, the corresponding following day of this mini breaks action, go check out our Great Shot podcast feed here at Crack Rackets. We've got Ace of the Day segments for you presented by DraftKings, where I not only offer my picks, but I preview in each and every match throughout the course of the day. Try to talk about the ones you can't miss if you want to feel most informed as a tennis fan. And I like to say I spend about 30 seconds to a minute on every match of the day. So if you're interested in preview content, go check that out. But good win for Rabakina. Tough loss for Keys, 17th in the live rankings, but perhaps most pressingly, Keys currently 13th in the points race. A big week in Ostrava, she stays alive in that top 10 hunt. The problem is for Keys, you know, Conteve is fewer than 120 points behind her, 121 to be specific, actually. Haddad Maya is within 200 points, and, you know, Kvitova, Ostapenko are closing in as well, and she's still got to go play catch-up to players like Bedosa. Benchich, Kudermatova, and Sakari. So tough for Keys, given that all of those players are still alive in Ostrava or Monastir this week. And 
Madison Keys unfortunately will no longer be playing uh, throughout the course of the week as she's knocked out in a tight three sets by Rabakina. But credit to Keys who came out swinging, hit the first serve extraordinarily well all match long. Just again, I thought that she had the match on her racket, just couldn't quite find the clutch volleys in the biggest moments. And that's again a credit to Rabakina who showed off that sneaky athleticism, moves very well for someone that powerful and that tall. That said, speaking of powerful and tall, Patrick Kvitova, 6-3, victory over qualifier Bernarda Pera, who, a reminder, has won something like, I want to say, 20 of her last 24 matches or something crazy like that. Obviously, the incredible run in July to a couple of clay court titles and, you know, a tough loss for her in the U.S. Open first round, but good, uh, really nice to see her bounce back after Petra was just hitting everything cleanly. And, of course, Petra's in her home country here in the Czech Republic was just dominant on serve to start the match. But Bernie Peep fought back. And again, 6-3 first set to Kvitova, 6-2 second set to Para. The key was down the home stretch. Again, Kvitova just had the more replicable weapons to put Para in trouble. And you look at the key in this match. I know this stat sounds funny. Petra Kvitova won 76% of her second serve points. I don't think that number's right. I think there must be some sort of statistical error. And they flipped the first and the second. And, you know, again, that 76% win percentage for Kvitova on the first serve must have been the separator in that fact. But upon checking statistics number two, yep, there was a mistake. She did win 50% of her first serve points. She won 65% of her second serve points. Bernardo Pera, on the flip side, won only 32% of her second serve points. That's the difference in a match that's decided 6-4 in the third set. Both players 5 of 13 on breakpoint chances. Again, Kvitova was just a little bit better on serve down the home stretch. It was a little bit easier for her to generate easy plus one opportunities. That said, Bernie P is a top 50 player. And you look for Para, who's currently sitting right now in the live rankings at number 43, a career high for her positions herself perfectly to continue to capitalize on her form. And, you know, again, Bernardo Pera, 27 years old, should be in the prime of her career. And indeed she is. That said, that's your action in Ostrava. And again, three three setters, six and six for Martin Sova, who, well, let's get a quick Martin Sova update. Currently sitting at 78 in the live rankings is the 28-year-old. That feels a little bit low. Feels like you might be able to get value on her if finding value amongst tennis players is something you are into. Um, that said, just a, and then the three and three win, Tamjanovic, Jung Shui, who have been two of the mini, bra- you know, not breakout stars, but two players who have made leaps here in 2022. Just a phenomenal day of tennis across the board in Ostrava. That said, let's move on now to our next WTA event. And I won't lie, I saw the least of Monastir of any of the matches, any of the events that happened throughout the course of the day. Uh, partially, that's because some of these match crews. Uh, Lisa Mertens played maybe her best match of the of the year. She just dominated Jacqueline Christian. Everything was working for her in a one-in-one victory. We were having fun before I went on air. Despina Papa Mikhail, the qualifier, knocked out Ju Lin, one six seven six six love Now, I won't lie, that was my first time seeing the 29-year-old Greek player, currently ranked number 178 in the world play. But I liked it. I liked the passion. I liked the fire. 
I liked how well she moved the ball around the court just, and I liked the physicality she brought to the table as well. You know, that said, Alizé Cornet got pushed in the first set, ultimately pulled away from Pagosi. Just so relentlessly consistent is Alizé Cornet. And look, for Cornet, who talked about retirement at the start of the season, the 30-year-old's currently number 35 in the rankings. That just means she's going to get to do all the things she wants to do moving forward in her career, play all the big events, obviously continue to compete for quarterfinals at the Slams and further. Um, it was a good result for her. Just, again, ground down Pagosi, who didn't have much left in the tank, comes set number two. Good win for Sinyakova, 6-4-4 love over Chloe Paquet. She's obviously carried her momentum from her title a couple of weeks ago. And then, you know, two the two big ones I saw, Claire Liu, another one of those players like Tom Janovich, like um, whomever, uh, like Jung Shui, who have made a mini leap here in 2022. Claire Liu, former junior uh, slam champion, I believe it was junior Wimbledon, I want to say 17 or 18, um, former, you know, has been floating around that 80 to 120 range over the course of the past two and a half years. She solidified herself in the top 80 with the year that she's had this season, and I talked about it a little bit on Twitter, but Claire Liu up to number 73 in the live rankings, a nice victory over Anaconia, 6-3, You look for Claire Liu here this season, 26-21 and 21 overall on the year, but 18-18 and 18 in tour-level play. Made a final in Rabat, has made, you know, uh, made a quarterfinal in Tokyo on the hard courts as well. Had the opportunity to win a match at Wimbledon and, you know, play the main draw of all four slams this season. The 22-year-old's just in the mix and very much like Claire Lou's backhand. The forehand can get a little bit big, but boy, can she generate power off both wings. And she just overwhelmed qualifier Anaconia today, 6-3, 6-2. Very nice win for Lou. First top 100 main draw victory for Luisa Stefanini today as well. The 24-year-old Italian evoking shades of Monica Sellis pass. She's got the two-handed backhand, but more importantly, the two-handed forehand for the 24-year-old Italian. She rocked. She rolled that ball around the court, uh, and ultimately she earns a 2-6-6-4-6-4 upset victory over eighth-seeded Magda Lynette. Again, for Stefanini, was 0-6 in against top 100 players in WTA main draws heading into this match, had only two tour-level main draw victories in her career, and now you look for the 24-year-old with her victory. She's up to a new career high, number 138. You know, that means you're getting in to all slams. You may even be seated, uh, slam qualifying. You may even be seated in that slam qualifying as well. Big upset there, but again, the big story, first-round matchup, Onjabur and Lee, that match on Tuesday. Mm. Jabur's a heavy favorite, but Lee is better than the percentages would have her right now because she's been so banged up over the course of the past year. So I am very excited for that matchup in Monastir. And again, that was the tournament I probably saw the least of of the day. That, and I should say the ATP event in Tokyo. That said... Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Good matchups. You know, Martich Fruvertova tomorrow. Sign me up for that, obviously. You've got uh, per- Perry versus Lucia Serenko 
coming up. That's another fun one. And then again, the headliner, Ann Lever's own Jabour. So certainly we will continue to peek in on Monastir uh, over the course of the rest of this week. That said, let's move over to the men's side of things. And let's start in Astana, formerly Nur Sultan, home to one of our two ATP 500s happening this week. Already had a top seed knocked out of the event. Felix Ogier Aliassime knocked out 6-4-7-6 by Roberto Bautista Agut. Now it's worth noting, you know, much like last season, these courts are slow. They're high bouncing. It's damn difficult to hit a winner for uh, for any player on this surface. That said, this was a really good 4-6 and six match between RBA and Felix, a match that featured just three breaks of serve in total throughout the course of the match. And... I mean, again, you look for Robbie Bats. He's now what? Let's see. Four, six, eight, plus 12. He's won 12 of his last 15 matches, if you include his run during Davis Cup, where he went undefeated for Team Spain. And, you know, you look for Roberto Bautista Agut overall here on the season. He's holding 83.8% of the time. Second highest average of his career and, you know, 3.4% above his career average. That number also ranks in the top 20 on the ATP Tour. He also is breaking serve 29% of the time. That's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour and the second best number of his career. RBA is one of just eight men's players to rank top 20. Not top 20. No, no, excuse me. Top 25. He's one of 12, 11 men's players to rank top 25. I forgot that hold percentage dipped down now uh, to 21st in the t- amongst top 50 players. But again, he's one of 11 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. You look for RBA, who's won titles here this season uh, in Kitzbühel, in Mallorca, in Doha. You look for RBA. He's currently 20th overall in the live rankings, 19th in the points race. You know what Robbie Bass is going to do? He's going to roll that ball forehand inside out to your backhand corner, and he's going to do it repeatedly. He's going to drive that backhand to the ad side of the court, and he's going to challenge you. He's going to dare you, bait you into attacking his on-the-run forehand. And his on-the-run forehand outside of the goats, Djokovic, Nadal, etc., Carlos Alcaraz now at this point, um, and Carlos Alcaraz not the GOAT, but not eliminated from the GOAT discussion. You get what I'm saying. That RBA on the run forehand is as good as any mortal being hits the on the run forehand in men's tennis. And just he hit it to perfection against Felix in this match. The backhand passing shot he hit to set up match point, his on the run, you know, baiting Felix into challenging that approach shot. And he passes him down the line right after Felix had gotten the mini break back. Uh, it was just mesmerizing, mesmerizing. You know, right after Felix had fought off the match point with a definitive uh, put-away forehand, just again, that's Robbie Bats for you. And he closes out the four-and-six victory. You look for RBA. He won uh, pretty, pretty comfortable, pretty solid, 77% of his first serve points, 69% of his second serve points. Again, just faced one break point throughout the course of the match. Meanwhile, while Felix won 81% of his first serve points, whenever RBA got a clean look at a return and was able to get that first ball either deep down the center of the court or to the backhand side of Felix, Felix was able to win just 44% of his second serve points. That said, he wins this breaker. Who knows who wins the third? You know, I would have loved to see this match go three out of five sets because I know four and six straight sets sounds like it's a disappointing result for Felix. It wasn't. I thought both guys played extraordinarily well. And again, this gets back to this hot start to October theme. Yes, it's a disappointing loss for Felix. His first to first round loss since Newport back in July. Um, 
And it's been a disappointing hardcourt stretch, I suppose. You know, yes, quarterfinal Cincinnati, Canada, but second round loss to Draper at the U.S. Open. And now, you know, the first round loss here to RBA, even though he's mixed in wins over Djokovic and Alcaraz at Davis Cup and in Laver Cup, respectively, uh, or switch them in terms of where each event happened. But despite mixing in those wins as well, you look for Felix 40 and 24 overall on this season. That said, fifth consecutive year. He's risen his hold percentage, holding 84% of the time. It's the breaking of serve. Just just earned one break point today. Uh, wasn't able to just generate, uh, wasn't able to do enough with his backhand. Yes, that ball has gotten better as a rally ball. He drives it deeper and with more action than he used to. He's a little bit better at hitting it on the run. But it hasn't made a it hasn't made significant progress on the return of serve and again if you serve big into that forehand he gets a little big with that backswing you can draw some errors from Felix. That said, I still think Felix has gotten better uh, this year and I still think at 22 years old there's more upside to tap into as I discussed with Gil Gross on a recent edition of Monday Match Analysis that all of you can go and check out at your leisure. That said, credit to RBA. Another big victory for the 34-year-old Spaniard as he continues what is uh, serious. I mean, you can make an argument. He's certainly been a top 15 player this season despite what the rankings say. You can make an argument. Uh, he should very much be in the running for the year-end finals because has Cam Norrie been that much better than RBA this season? Yeah, I know. He's got a Wimbledon semifinal. But again, has he been that much better? Some scholars have argued the answer to that question might not be yes. So again, uh, good win for RBA to kick off his campaign in Astana. That said, you know, that was probably your most significant result of the day. You did have a couple of other things to keep your eye on. Certainly, Andre Rublev, pretty comfortable 4-3 and three win over Laszlo Jura. Didn't break Jura till. 5-4 up in the first set, but once he got that break of serve and the way he got that serve by just relentlessly targeting the Laszlo Jura forehand, there was a point where he went down love uh, 40 and it was either 2-all or 3-all and he hit literally five consecutive shots to the Jura forehand and ultimately that got the job done. Uh, again, 4-3 and three victory for Andre Rublev. 2-6 and six win for Hubi Hercant over Francisco Sarundolo. Good to see Hubi get things back on track. Botic cruised, as he should have, over the wild card, one and one. You then had a, I don't know if upsets are the right word, Manorino, a little too physical for Stan the Man down the home stretch, one six six two six three victory for the Frenchman. And then, look, the struggles continue for Aslan Karatsev, the flip side, Jung Ji Jin, the qualifier out of China, top-ranked man from China, fellow October birthday, October 16th, 1996, so I have to root for him now, vigorously moving forward, Jung, Chin, uh, Jung Ji Chen, Jung Ji Jen, excuse me, is seven ranking spots away from, I believe, becoming the first Chinese man in ATP Tour history to crack the top 100 of the singles rankings. Now, I may be incorrect on that, but the 25-year-old is currently 107 uh, in the rankings. On the flip side, you look for Aslan Karatsev. He's lost nine of his last 10 matches. You know, he beat Nakashima 5-5 five five first round of Cincinnati. That's his only win during this hard court portion of the season. That's just unacceptable for the 29-year-old, and despite the fact that, again, Jung Ji Jung uh, served well throughout the course of today, did a really good job to put pressure and just make returns in the court consistently, that's a bad result for Karatsev. And 9 out of 10 losses, that's not a blip in the, that's not a flash in the pan, that's a trend, and it's not a good one uh, for the 29-year-old. That said, you know, pretty standard day 
of action in Astana. Certainly excited for tomorrow's play when you know we get guys like uh, I believe Alcaraz is in action. If he's not, certainly I know we get uh, Maxim Cressy versus Karen Hatchinov. I believe we get Djokovic Green. Uh, we, you know Medvedev I think is in action against Albert Ramos. Vinolas. Uh, yeah, things are only going to get better in Astana moving forward. And of course, we'll break down those storylines tomorrow when Nate Walrath joins me on the show. That said, let's end today's episode with a little Tokyo talk. And you look at today's results. We have the least amount of main draw play in Tokyo, perhaps most notably. Francis Tiafo keeps winning a routine 3-4 and four victory over Uchiyama. And I think that's the big thing for Francis Tiafo. It's how routine he now makes everything look. Tiafo up to a new career high, 19 in the live rankings. Welcome to the top 20, Francis Tiafo. You also had, again, routine victory for Brandon Nakashima. Coming off of his first title in San Diego over a week ago, Nakashima, a straight set win over former junior Wimbledon champion, Shitaro Machizuki. I mean, Nakashima is just lights out on serve right now. And the fact that he's held over 88% of the time since the start of the French Open, go watch him play. Sometimes stats are just noise. Go watch him play and tell me that serve hasn't turned into dare I say, an elite serve with how well he hits his spots, the strength behind that ball on the ATP Tour. Good wins for a couple of guys more known for their clay court success. Pedro Martinez, Bernabe Zapata, Morales, a couple of Spaniards each looking to hold on to their spots in the top 100, earn uh, good victories, 5-4, five 5-5 and four, five and five respectively over Paparin and Taro Daniel. With that said, that's your Monday action on the ATP and WTA Tour. Again, a hot start to October, certainly, of course. We'll continue to cover all the action as it unfolds this week on the ATP and WTA Tours. We'll have preview shows every day on the Great Shot Podcast. Uh, recaps here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Again, I am fortunate enough to be on the call for our friends at Tennis Channel. They're T2 Samsung streaming service. Uh, very excited to continue to have that opportunity. Excited to have a couple of fun guests on the show this week as well. Be on the lookout for them. That, my friends, is what we call in our business a tease, of course. Also, looking forward to being on the broadcast for the ITA All-Americans. Our coverage begins on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel starting this Wednesday. If you want to know who the premier talent in the college tennis world is, who might be that next player to make the big jump to the pros someday, uh, go watch the All-Americans on our Crack Rackets YouTube feed. It's free, folks. Free tennis. Can never complain about that. Of course, a shout out as always to the man behind the scenes who makes everything we do here possible. Our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a of an editing job to do as always. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.